Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Well, good morning, church. We'll be in John chapter 3 this morning. As I was talking with the kids this morning, did you guys think of a teacher as you were growing up that you have memories of? Now, I was, um, I, I, uh, I uh, had teachers that I have good memories of because I made good memories to them. Is that a good way of saying that? Uh, like, they definitely would remember me. And it was not necessarily always positive. Because um, <clears throat> I always started out the beginning of the school year in the, in the back of the class and always ended up in the front row. But do you, can you remember teachers? And <clears throat> I think one especially, math was definitively not my subject. In fact, when I went to college, I went to English Lit because it was the farthest thing from math. And there was a professor there Dr. Carmine, and in college, you have to take math. I don't know why, but because. And he said, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get you through this class. And I'm thinking, yeah, no homework or whatever, you know? Like what you're thinking as a freshman in college? No, what it was is he was willing to teach us where we were and figure out where we were and step through all those processes so you could get basic math. And I'm like... That's pretty cool. And I can remember him. Who is it that you think of as you're back through either college or graduate school or elementary school? Those teachers that took the time to teach and the influence they've had on us. It's amazing. I can still remember Mrs. Blumenshine, my kindergartner teacher, which is only like 10 years ago. Not really. So we remember these teachers. And so this morning at John, we're going to see two teachers. And a big thing is faith in Jesus means teaching life's greatest lesson. We then become teachers. If you have kids or you're working with small people or you're around life, you end up either mentoring people or teaching them. And the greatest lesson in life is what we'll go across today. That'll be our subject. And the cool thing is, Jesus gets to be a teacher, and John the Baptist gets to be a teacher. And they're going to teach life's greatest lessons. So turn with me to John chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 1. And Jesus, through verse 21, is going to teach the greatest lesson. Jesus teaches life's greatest lesson. Pick up with me in verse 1, chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Stop there. The setting. This is done at night. We have Nicodemus showing up to see teacher, seeing the teacher Jesus. And he comes in at night. There's many that think, you know, maybe he was trying to get in without people seeing him. Or maybe he just got off work. But he is coming to see Jesus at night. 
And he's seeing Jesus, and this is pretty neat. The rabbi comes to see Jesus, and Jesus is very early in his ministry. Maybe he's 30. And he's seen what Jesus can do. And we see Nicodemus who comes and sees this young Jesus. And here's Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. Imagine a very well-learned, trained, and experienced Jew. Or put it this way. He's got his Ph.D. in Old Testament studies. And not only that, he's part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, excuse me, the Sanhedrin is the Jewish ruling civil authority that was put in place, especially after the Roman occupation in AD 6. So Jesus is on the scene. There are Jews there that are leading the people. And this guy is a PhD in Old Testament studies, but he's also a social part of the, the group that is literally running the area. So Nicodemus has a statement. He says in verse 2, Rabbi, he says Rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. So you have the highly qualified, highly experienced, social prominent person comes to Jesus and says Rabbi, teacher. It's a term of respect and of honor. Authority is assigning authority. And remember, Jesus is just 30. We know that you're a teacher because we see what you're doing. And what you're doing is a God thing. There's sight evidence. He is looking at what Jesus has done and says, man, i got to investigate this. So whatever you want to say about Nicodemus, he's literally searching out what is going on. He comes to Jesus and says, hey, here's, I respect you, Rabbi. I'm going to assign you that term. I want to interact with you. And Jesus strikes right back at the heart. Jesus' intro is a truth statement. Here is the truth. In order to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. So a learned Jew hears about what Jesus is doing, sees what Jesus is doing, sets up an appointment to meet him at night and starts out with, Rabbi, I know what you've been doing is a God thing. And Jesus cuts right to the chase and says, hey, the most important thing that I can teach you if you're going to call me Rabbi is spiritual birth. What you have seen is on the outside, The evidence, let me talk about the spiritual truth that's going to happen. And then look at Nicodemus' question, his response. Verse 4. You got to be kidding me. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He can't enter a second into his mother's womb and be born. He's like, how in the physical world, what are you talking about? So, Nicodemus comes to Jesus based upon side evidence, based upon what he can see, and Jesus responds to him spiritually. And then when he does respond to him spiritually, Nicodemus says, there's no physical way this is possible. The spiritual world is going to meet the physical world. Now, John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus is going to begin teaching Nicodemus. Look at verse 5. 
Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus is going to teach him about the Holy Spirit. Spiritual things. To enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again by water and Spirit. The spiritual cleansing must happen, and the Holy Spirit is the one who does this. Is anybody saying, reading that and say, what in the world's the water about? Where we get this water? This goes back to Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. They're right there. God is saying, hey, I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to give you a new spirit. I'm going to take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And he also says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be cleansed from all your uncleanliness. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit, and I will put it within you. I will remove a heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, Ezekiel 36 says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus is taking this, this PhD in Old Testament studies and says, This will ring your bell. This passage from Ezekiel is very, very popular. It may not be to us this morning, but for them, this was a big deal when Ezekiel is prophesying about all this stuff going on. Hey, you are going to have spiritual rebirth, and I will send my Holy Spirit to cleanse you, to give you a new spiritual birth. Then in verse 6, Jesus states the obvious. What you're perceiving is physical. You came to me to have an audience because of physical. By the way, yeah, flesh bears flesh, spirit bears spirit. I'm ringing your bell by Ezekiel. Now I'm going to say, hey, this kind of makes sense. Flesh bears flesh. Spirit bears the spiritual life. The Holy Spirit literally is going to give you a new life. And verse 7 is kind of one of those God humors in the marble. Do not marvel about this, Nicodemus. You shouldn't be astonished. Not ev- you don't really believe that everything in your life is what you can see and what you can touch and what you can, see. you know, it's not all physical. You really don't leave, be- live this way. And neither do we. If our life was all based upon scientific evidence, then explain to me love, compassion. There is a lot in life that we see happen that is not a part of the physical. And he gives Nicodemus an obvious physical illustration. You see where the wind goes, but you can't see it, but you see the effects of it. The Holy Spirit is the same way, Nicodemus. When he comes in and does his work in people's lives, you see what happens. You see the result. This is nothing new. You shouldn't, be, you shouldn't marvel at this. You shouldn't be surprised. So we have a teacher that sought a teacher. Then we have a teacher who's responded to that teacher with spiritual truth. Hey, it's not all physical. You shouldn't be surprised by this. Now, Jesus in verse 9 through 15 is going to really lay it on thick. Pick up with me in verse 9. 
And Nicodemus says, how can this be? He still hasn't gotten it. And Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can, I, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus is still not getting He's like, what? That, how can this be? Imagine what he's saying is, you mean there's more to life than what I can see? Yes. Jesus points out to him, and he's like, you are a teacher of Israel, and you don't know this? How to put this? You're a car mechanic, Robbie, and somebody comes to you, and there's no oil in the car? And another mechanic says, well, I'm not sure why it's not running anymore. Be like, you're a mechanic. You got to have oil. You didn't know that? Oh, where's your license, you moron? So this Old Testament PhD rolls it to Jesus, and Jesus is explaining it to him. He's kind of nice first time. Yeah, this is serious. You, you live by seeing these things. And Nicodemus still doesn't get it. He's like, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't get this. Boom. The Old Testament faith system has always been by believing what God says is true. Listen to me well. The faith system is if God says this is true, do you believe that? Your sins can be taken care of if you believe that you will be forgiven through the blood of this sacrifice. Old Testament. What's the New Testament? Do you believe that your sins can be forgiven because God says believe in this blood sacrifice? The difference between the two, Old Testament, every year it had to happen again. New Testament, how often did it, how many times did it happen? One time. God's requiring the exact same faith system. It has not changed. Do you believe what God says is true to actually be true? Okay, well, yeah, I'll do that. But God says, hey... If you wanted to have your sins taken care of, you had to bring a goat. You had to bring a lamb. You had to bring what he required. If you showed up one day with a puppy, that didn't qualify. You had to do it on God's term. New Testament. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to believe in this Jesus guy. I think he was a cool dude, but I just don't want to believe in the Jesus guy. It's always been by God's terms on God's way. Do you believe what he says is true? That's called faith. Now, when we read this morning, this faith system is nothing new because God has always required a contrite and broken heart or a repentant heart. When we read Isaiah 57, it's a contrite and broken heart. Malachi, contrite and broken heart. Psalm 51, contrite and broken heart. Now, the funny thing about Isaiah and Malachi is God's had enough. You guys are going through the motions. You think you're getting right with me because you're stepping through the lines. You're dotting your I's and crossing your T's. But you forgot the soul issue. You forgot the heart issue. It's the same thing with us. Do you give mental assent to what Jesus did on the cross and it hasn't made it into your heart? That's where David, when he has an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, 
cries and weeps and makes it into a song in which we literally sang this morning. God, create in me a new heart. Wash me as white as snow. Create a contrite and broken heart. That's what God is looking for. And then the verses 18 and on is, then I will proclaim you to the world. So the faith system is the same as it always has been. And so you can see where Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, how in the world did you miss this? This theme has gone all the way through. But Jesus doesn't stop there with Nicodemus. He keeps teaching. Look at verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one's ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses, was lifted up, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus teaches five big things to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, do you get it? This is spiritual. This is not all physical. And he teaches five huge ideas to him. And by the way, what we don't get in English, we pick up in the original, the you here is turned to plural. Jesus, five facts for you all. So Nicodemus either brought an audience with him or an audience has gathered around them, but the plural of you is being used here. You all, here's five things. We speak the truth. We live in such a way that you have seen the evidence of faith, yet you don't accept it. Even if you live the faith, speak the faith, there will be those who see it and do not accept it as truth. Jesus experienced that. He spoke truth. His word is truth. If I told you about earthly things and you don't believe me, how will you get the spiritual? If I'm having a hard time convincing you about what you see around you, it's going to be really tough to see the spiritual. We see this a lot in our own lives, don't we? We tend to believe or take hold of that which we can see first and attribute to how life is going by, what we can see, touch, feel. Then we have a harder time attributing faith into believing and taking security in what Jesus says is true when it's about the spiritual. Fact number three is Jesus says, hey, basically, I'm God. In order to descend, I have to ascend. That ascend, descend verse in there. Basically, he's saying, I'm God. I have descended. And I will ascend again. Huge statement about himself. I will be lifted up like the bronze serpent. I love how Jesus uses this with Nicodemus. The Old Testament PhD would have known this story. The Jews are in a bad way to go. The snakes are biting them and they don't know what they're going to do. They're dying. And so, hey, make a bronze serpent, lift it up and look at it and you can be healed. There's your story, Nicodemus. This is all physical. Get healed from your physical ailments. Look what Jesus is doing. I will need to be lifted like this bronze serpent to look upon me for spiritual healing. He's bridging the gap of where Nicodemus is to what he would have readily understood and known to what Jesus is trying to teach him about spiritual affairs, about spiritual salvation. 
Believe in me and be saved. See, so when Jesus is done with him, the guy just wants an audience, figure out what's doing because of what he's seen him do. Jesus responds by, it's not all about what you see around you. You need to be born again. Nicodemus is like, I don't get it. Jesus explains, and he still doesn't get it. And you're like, hmm, you should have gotten this. It's always been about faith. And then he takes him through these five massive facts about himself. Then we jump to John 3.16. Jesus is going to teach about faith. Pick up with me in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out. Jesus teaches about faith. The offer of salvation is about faith. God loves you, he says. God loves you all. He's given me for you. Believe in me and have spiritual life that begins now and goes into eternity. Basic premise of faith. And Jesus is saying this to this group. This is the offer of salvation. Believe in me. But there's a warning of rejection. In verses 19 through 20, because people like the darkness because they don't get exposed. It's really easy to see this when you're around people who have no clue how bad the situation they're in because they've surrounded them by like-minded people. If you constantly don't want to have anything to do with God, so you surround yourself with those who don't want to believe in God, it's not hard to figure out, wow, this is the situation where I have made myself comfortable. That which is truth and is hard to digest, when you interact with it, it's easier to run away from it than to deal with it. Jesus says, hey, I'm making this offer of salvation, but it will obviously be rejected because people like being in the dark than in being in the light. And John started out his gospel with, I am the light. Jesus is the light. People like the darkness. In fact, really, in this morning in our heart of hearts, we kind of like it to be dark so we don't have to deal with what has been exposed in the light. So the offer of Jesus for salvation is not just a one-time transaction for life, but it's also that, hey, God, I realize that there's something going on inside of me that i got to deal with, and are you going to deal with that, or are you just going to turn around and keep your back toward God? Acceptance means life in verse 21. Believe in me and live. Live in such a way that you also evidence your life of faith. You move out of spiritual darkness into light. 
Jesus got his audience with Nicodemus because he first lived in such a way that piqued Nicodemus' interest. Do you notice that? Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, Hey, Rabbi. And Jesus responded with incredible, thick, awesome, cool premises for faith and life. Jesus is now saying in verse 21, that what you believe in me and act in such a way that you live as one who is in the light. See, faith in John 3.16 isn't just mental sense, seeing it on a, a poster at an NFL game in the end zone. Faith in Jesus means, hey, I believe in what you did, now I want to live in such a way that my obedience to you is evidence of my faith. Titus 1.6. Titus has some strong words. There are people who profess to know God. There are people who profess to believe in God, but deny him by their works. There are people who profess to say, hey, yeah, I love Jesus. But when you look at their works, you can say that isn't, that isn't anywhere close to true. If it's one thing we hear over and over again, I ain't going to church because it's chock full of a bunch of hypocrites. On the one hand, it's absolutely correct. There is no way I can live a sinless life. What is so cool about Psalm 51? You got a king caught in an adultery. The baby dies. The husband dies. There's a lot of pain that goes along in that story. What is so awesome about Psalm 51? He turns to God and says, Against you and you only have I sinned. I want a clean heart. David chasing after God for the renewal. That's what makes it such an incredible story. When you do sin, it's who do you chase after to re find reconciliation for it? But there are those who want some Jesus, who want the billboard, who want a little bit of help here and there, but then you look at the evidence of their life and said, that doesn't reflect anything. In fact, it reflects disbelief. And Jesus addresses that in the same context as John 3.16. So Jesus has taught a whole lot this morning about faith, about the physical and the spiritual. Let's move into John while John teaches this morning. John's going to teach life's greatest lesson from verses 16 through 21, or from 22 to 36. Pick up in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Enon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. The setting now changes from the Passover feast to where Jesus was hanging out. Now he's into the countryside and John's also baptizing there. By the way, Enon means place of the springs because water was plentiful there. And John gives us a little clue that John the Baptist has not yet been put in prison. So there's a, look at, look at the cast, verse 25. Now there, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with, with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. 
So they cast John the Baptist's disciples. So the disciples following John the Baptist are there, and they're having a debate with a Jew over purification, something about clean and unclean in Jewish law. Then John shows up, and this guy, this Jew, walks up to John and says what to him first? Rabbi, teacher. And he presents the problem to him. Rabbi, what's the problem? You're losing all your dudes. You had this big following of all these disciples. Look, they're all going over that guy over there who you said was the guy, but you're losing everybody. Now, John's response to this guy is really pretty amazing. Look in verse 27 how John responds. John says in verse 27, a person cannot receive any, even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who is the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears his voice. Hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So John answers, First, heaven is the source to answer your question. All gifts come from heaven. My source is from heaven. John 1, 33 through 34, and we covered that in John chapter 1. John receives information that this is the one. That confirmation literally came from heaven. He says, you all are my witnesses. That is also recorded in the first chapter, verses chapter 1. Verse 6, 23, 26 through 27. You've heard me say, you are my witness. I am not the guy. I am not the anointed one. I am not the Christ, but I was sent before him. In verse 29, hey, I'm the best man. When you hear the best man, pay attention. Stand and respect and honor him and rejoice because you've just heard his voice. Just merely hearing the voice Verse 30, I'm just doing my job because Jesus is the groom. His reputation increases, mine must decrease. He is more important. If you've ever been to a wedding where the best man takes the show over the groom, things have gone wrong. If the maid of honor takes more of the show than the bride, things have gone wrong. John says, hey, I have told you that I got the authority from heaven. You're my witnesses that I said that I'm not the guy. And by the way, he is the guy. I am just the best man. He is the groom. So what is he saying to this guy? This Jew walks up and says, hey, you're losing all your disciples. Yeah, he's it. He's it. He is the man. He is God. And then, by the way, he's going to start teaching about this. You're right. I am losing all my disciples. In verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks on an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. What's he saying? Jesus is God. Yeah, that's the guy. He is God. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 basically says Jesus is God. In fact, it says, he is the exact imprint of God's nature. 
And he said, John, he said, Jesus is God, and you guys are going to have a hard time understanding that there's spiritual truth in light of the physical evidence. Who else this morning has said this to Nicodemus? Jesus said the exact same to Nicodemus. It's like a mere version of the two stories. John 3, 11 to 11. You won't want to believe me, Nicodemus, but I'm telling you, things, the essential, most important lesson in life is spiritual. And Jesus himself, in verse 13, has already claimed to be God. In verse 32, Jesus testifies. He bears witness about himself that he is God. John says that he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. As God himself, he has seen and heard, and he has testified to you, and you do not accept it. Verse 33, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. You want to believe the spiritual truth? Then co-sign, put all your money down, set your seal. Bank on this, that if God says it, it's true. Receive Jesus. Receive his truth. Bank on it. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives a spirit without measure. Jesus will give the Holy Spirit without measure. The idea here is also in found in Titus 3, 6, that without measure is like you want something to drink, so you stand at the bottom of the Hoover Dam and they let all the water out. Without measure. Jesus rules. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and he has given all things into his hand. The Father loves the Son and has given everything into his hand. Harkens back to Daniel 7, 14, where Jesus will have all dominion, all glory, and a kingdom over all the nations, over every language. A a dominion that's everlasting, that shall never pass away. And finally, guess where he ends up? Believe. Believe in Jesus. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. What's it remind you of John 3.16? And finally, rejection is wrath. The end of verse 36, but the wrath of God remains on him. John has taught these eight spiritual truths just like Jesus did. This is more than just physical, it's spiritual. Yeah, to answer your question, they are leaving to go to him. And not only is he superior, but he's God. Receive him. What he says is absolute truth. He is the eternal ruler from ages past, eternity past to eternity future. Believe in him and reject him. You shall be under wrath. Whoa. Jesus gets a one little audience with Nicodemus and he says, hey, I've kind of seen what you've been up to. Boom. Hits him with like a four ton heavy thing. All of this information. So John's disciples are in an argument with the Jew, and the Jew gets John by himself and says, hey, uh, you're losing all your guys. Your membership for your club is diminishing. That's cool. He answers that, yeah, that's the guy. I've been pointing to him. You know this. And let me tell you something about him. Look what John the Baptist teaches in just a few verses. Talk about a survey of great theological truths. But more importantly to that, are you this morning able to understand it? Because faith in Jesus means teaching this greatest lesson yourself. John, Jesus taught it. 
John the Baptist taught it. They're really close. That's why this chapter is about two teachers. One's teaching about himself, and the other one's teaching about the other. So faith in Jesus means teaching that. To teach it, you have to know it. And you believe in the greatest lesson that's ever been taught about faith and what it means to follow Jesus, to have a relationship with him. Do you believe in it? This morning, do you, do you give mental assent to what is true about it? Or does life look like if somebody were to come up and say, well, I'm going to look back and see uh, what does this cat's look li- life look like in the last three months? That's kind of crazy. It's hard. So this morning, have you ever believed it in the first place? And then if you say you have, then how does that life look like? Jesus asked this, made the same point. Do you know the basics of this lesson? I knew there was a ton in it. We like the cliff notes, and we just put John 3.16 up at a football game and say, that's good for y'all. Look what Jesus taught. Look what John taught in a short interaction based upon what God had been doing in their life already. Do you know these basics? Are you willing to teach someone else this life lesson? It's personal. You understand where it goes from just mental assent to something, but proactive faith that is following an obedience to Jesus Christ by how we do this with one another. If you took a pop quiz next Wednesday and I called you up or somebody called you up and says, hey, what does it mean to be born again? Oh, okay, that's John 3. Could you go through it? Now, when we go into our community, are you willing to share this lesson? If you believe in it, are you willing to share it? We pray for opportunities to share this life lesson, this the most important life lesson. If that is true, if there are people that you know that you want to be able to share Jesus with and you want to pray for those opportunities, think right now of who those people are. There's people that are interacting in your life that do not know Jesus or have a confused idea about Jesus or you're not really even sure where they land. Or maybe you know where they land, but you need to take those steps of what it means to actually go from a physical point of view to a spiritual point of view. Write those three names. Write those names down on your connection card. And put those in the entryway at the way in back so we can pray for you through this. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.